0: General Nerdery.
1: Halloween is over, kids, and because it's 2020, that was probably a pretty sad affair. So, to make up for it this week, General Nerdery brings you a movie that'll make you cry about 15 times in the space of an hour and a half. <laughs> dude, I fucking, How's that sound to ya? I fucking warned you, dude. I know.
0: Everyone warned me.
1: Literally every person who mentioned this movie.
0: Yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's perfect. I'm glad I'm glad to know I wasn't wrong, I guess. Uh, I'm Tyler.
1: I'm Zach. Uh, and this is General Nerdery, in case you haven't noticed by the fact that I said the words General Nerdery. We're your podcast about liking things, and soon we will get to how much we like and kind of hate because it's unfair, but it's so good.
0: Coco. Right. We got things to get to before we get there, though. Thank God. Uh, what have you been ingesting this week other than, well, cocoa, cocoa, obviously. Well, once the tears all dried out,
1: I've got two things. One, I've been watching more. I think I already talked about Buzzfeed Unsolved on this. The two guys watching, uh, hunting for ghosts. One believes mm. and one doesn't. Uh, those same guys do also Buzzfeed Unsolved, but true crime where they just sit and tell true crime stories. You know, the who put Bella in the witch elm. Uh, the Black Dahlia murders, whatever, what have you. And my theory is, because they uh, swap season to season, like season one will be true crime, season two will be ghosts and back and forth, is that it's cheap as fuck to just sit in one room and tell true crime stories, which is how they save up to go travel. like They go to Mexico City for one of the other ones. like, oh, God, I'm making mess everywhere. Ah. They visit a fucking creepy doll island. That can't be cheap. So... Oh, they visit the creepy doll yeah, island? Yeah, it's a great episode. I don't I know, know about the
0: creepy doll Have island. I,
1: I thought I mentioned this. Have I not mentioned the show on here before? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. BuzzFeed Unsolved. It is Shane Madej and Ryan Bergara, who I got onto because of Puppet History, which I know I've mentioned on here before. And apparently this show... Has earned two billion views or something like that oh, on shit. YouTube, so you know the equivalent of a quarter of the Earth's population. Hmm. And one season they'll watch, um, like they'll tell true, Crime, as I said, Black Dahlia to Jack the Ripper. That one they actually were in London for a different episode, and I think just we're like, while do- we're there, let's do an unsolved one on right. Me. Whitechapel's
0: right over there. Yeah,
1: right? Like, they visited some of the places. They uh, The first episode, they go to the, the Sally House, which is apparently super haunted. Mm. The Winchester Mystery Mansion, mm. which I desperately want to visit. Yeah, same here. And they go to Creepy Doll Island by Mexico City, which I want to visit, but, like, during the day. I don't believe in ghosts. That still sounds creepy. And I don't like spiders. And it sounds like there's a lot of spiders on that. Creepy mm. doll island. Uh, there are, I believe, 12 seasons all told between the two shows, so six of each. And I've watched all of them in the last month. Oh, dang. Like, uh, hell yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, oh, it was, it's super good. Uh, the fun thing about the ghost part is one of them super believes in ghosts, and the other one does not at all. Have you ever seen the meme of like, hey, there demons, it's me, your boy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's from that. Oh, OK. So like one guy will just terrify himself anywhere. Like they have a thing of they'll find the most haunted place in whatever place they're visiting and spend like five minutes alone each in there. And the guy that like doesn't believe in demons is like sitting on top of the pentagram theoretical pentagram area, being like, "Hey, what's up?" And the guy who's in the theoretical safe place is just like full on having a nervous breakdown. Like, yeah. And then they put him in the actual place, and he's always like, "What the fuck? Come on. Come on!" It's really charming. They burn each other in the way that only people who legitimately like each other are allowed right. to like burn each other. Uh, they went on to make their own. Production company, but luckily they're still making like this show with BuzzFeed, just as like a freelance basis or something like that. Like we all know that, but we like it. Yeah, that's cool. Fuck, I'm gonna have
0: to check that out. I really recommend it. Um God, I was I got sucked into For Honor again this weekend because it was like a loot fest event. And as far as finishing up what I really want to get done in that game, it mostly pertains to loot. So, I got a lot of shit done on that front. Your completionist edge
1: to video games is fascinating to me, as someone who has none of it.
0: In that game, it's mostly fucking fashion. I <laughs> love get like when when you can show me all the different ways that my character can look i like going through and being like well i like this i like this i like this i like this so i'm going to see if i can put these all together and ooh look there's my character just the way i want it see i do that with Bella Garth, with garb just mm. stuff
1: i made myself but yours is way less work and it's oh, no it's actually a lot more work in some ways um uh but way the different the, work How the other that?
0: thing is uh a couple weeks ago my recommendation was the podcast no, no such thing as a fish I was listening to said podcast, and they had on, as a guest, Reese Darby. He was, he's was he been on, like, Flight of the Conchords. Uh, we probably last talked about him on the show when we talked about what we do in the shadows. Uh, he was the leader of the werewolves. Oh, okay, yes. I found out through that that he has a podcast, and so I've been going through their back catalog. His podcast, The Cryptid Factor, is so much fun. Uh, it's him and actually one of the guys from No Such Thing as a Fish, and, like, two others. And they talk about cryptid news, so, like, Bigfoot sightings, Mothman sightings. The BuzzFeed guys go hunting for Mothman at one point. Oh, fun. And Bigfoot, but the Mothman wants more fun. Uh, and just, like, weird news from the week. Nice. Not not always necessarily having to do with cryptids, although they always make sure that something that cryptid somehow. is brought up uh, by the end of the show. But it's also just like a lot of Reese just joking around and like really kind of ragging on some of these stories and ma- making fun of like how stupid some of the shit sounds. And kind of like what you were bringing up, all these guys are friends and they probably spend about 50% of the time just like making fun of each other. Yeah,
1: the there's very few people I'm close enough to rip on in the way that some of these ways go. I love cryptids. I love ghost stories. I love horrible murders. If I can, one don't have to like necessarily believe it's true. I mean, some of them, yes, clearly yeah. Jack the Ripper killed a bunch of people, right? But like, I don't believe in Mothman. But I really like the idea of Mothman. And Mothman's fun because the town that it's around seems to have owned it at just the right level. Like, some people have Mothman stories, some people are making fun of Mothman. Mm. Like, they're they're capitalizing on Mothman without being, you know, the ancient alien guy. Right, right. Who guest stars in an episode of this. Oh, that's fun. They interview him and, like, the the guy that doesn't believe any of this is just sitting there... Like, he's very polite, he's never mean, and he's clearly interested, but he is also clearly just like, what the fuck? Does some of the conversation...
0: That's really... Oh my god. that Him popping up reminds me that on the latest Cryptid Factor, they end off with part of an interview that the guy that... I think his name is Dan, that's also on No Such Thing as a Fish, did with Brian Blessed about... Yeti and Bigfoots and large, hairy men across the world because Brian Blessed is an extremely noted mountaineer. He loves ascending peaks around the world. Brian Blessed, like, loud, shouty British actor guy? Yes. Like, I'm pretty sure he holds a world record for, like, most times ascending some certain peak without oxygen. Damn.
1: I'm also pretty sure he's crazy, so, like... yeah. Uh, that tracks. I love Brian Blessed. I don't think I would like Brian Blessed if I, like...
0: Knew him, met knew him? him. Yes. I would love to, like, have him on mic, though, because it seems like he loves to fucking talk, and I would love to just sit there and ask him, like, a question and let him go for two hours. Yeah,
1: just occasionally, like, direct the, like, weird.
0: <laughs> right, but, yeah. He has super interesting stories. He taught, like... He loves mountaineering to the point where, like, he'll go ride with the Mongols for a third of the year to help get to certain peaks.
1: Okay. <laughs> when you're a successful British character actor, I suppose you get to do that sometimes.
0: Right? like... So, I don't know. Super interesting. That's what I've been going off on. Nice. Um, yeah. I it's kind of a light recommendation, though. I suppose I'll get to a real recommendation by the end of the show. That's yeah, fine. We these two kind of blend. Let's right? be honest here. Yeah, if it's worth bringing up as a, ingesting, it's usually worth bringing up as a recommendation.
1: Unless it's hate ingesting, which we don't do much, anyways. I
0: don't know. Uh, I bring up for honor a lot. Okay, that's true.
1: <laughs> Any news for us today? <laughs>
0: uh, news today. Uh, we did watch, they did. Drop one more Mandalorian TV spot two hours after we got done recording the last of episode. Uh, we just watched it. It doesn't matter much by the time you guys hear this, because the first episode will have dropped. Yeah, there'll be so much more to
1: talk about. It drops for us in five days. For you guys, it'll be like three days ago.
0: But it still has me excited. Oh, yeah. Like, it's worth saying I
1: liked it. <laughs> Mandalorian has remained one. Of, I mean, we, we've done two episodes on Mando specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of my favorite things on TV right now. So, yeah. So we had that.
0: That's cool. Oh, oh, Snyder Cut. Oh, the news just keeps coming. What now? Leto Joker's back.
1: Are they just turning this into, like, everything they wanted the expanded world to be
0: and then aren't doing? Possibly, because that is combined with, uh, as teased in the after-credits scene of Justice League, uh, Joe Mangianello. As Deathstroke. As Deathstroke. As well.
1: So, in st- from what I'm gathering, this is a weird combination of an expanded version of the Snyder Cut movie with a condensed version of everything they wanted their expanded universe, the cinematic universe, to be.
0: Yeah, kind of. Or it's possibly, well, when Justice League was first announced, it was re- announced as a trilogy, then it was going to be a two-parter. And then we got what we ended up getting. So it sounds like Which we're at was least...
1: still supposed to have a second part to it, but
0: it did really badly. So. Right. So it sounds like we're getting the two-parter with like a little bit of bonus. Maybe not the complete trilogy, but it sounds like we're getting two and like a quarter parts. <laughs> this is either going to be
1: the coolest goddamn thing, or it's going to be the most expensive... I almost used the word boner there, which is like old 50s version of fuck up. I, also responsible know, for one of the greatest Batman issues of all time.
0: I think it still fits. Be the, <laughs> the biggest boner.
1: Yes, it's either like. It's either going to be the biggest nerd boner or just the, like, worst thing. And I'm not sure which one.
0: Uh, yeah, I. With all of this news that keeps popping up and them adding these people, I don't know what to think anymore, but I'm still excited. I'm going to watch it. I'll it, finally watch fucking Batman vs. Superman for this. I mean, I was, I was already going to watch it. I was already someone for the Snyder Cut. This has me more curious than ever. Like, what the fuck are you guys actually doing now? I didn't really care about the Snyder Cut. One,
1: because, I mean, I never saw Batman vs. Superman. Man of Steel was okay. The idea was better than the result. Um, And I felt like that's kind of what the Snyder Cut would be. And also, it had just been built up so much. This is more interesting to me, even though I think it'd be way easier to fuck up. Mm. Because they're actually doing things like this is way riskier than let's let snyder re-edit the fucking movie
0: right we'll see what happens fuck that's all i got
1: yeah i mean pretty much everyone on that is a good actor so if they actually gave him good stuff to do it could work
0: just today just this morning not pop culture news but definitely nerdy and geek news uh, NASA's announced they've found water on the moon. Yeah, I saw something about that. I
1: haven't had a chance to read it, because, you know, I'm not supposed to be on the internet at work. Uh,
0: basically, they were pretty sure there was water before this, but the types of scans they were doing weren't able to differentiate water from a couple other compounds, so it could have been, like, one of three things they were picking up. Mm-hmm. Whatever they've done new has confirmed... Water exists on the moon, on the sunny side. Are we talking underground lakes? or It's more, uh, I, the one, from what I read, and it was kind of a dense article that I read, I think there's probably better breakdowns than what I chose to look at. Yeah. The water I think they've found so far that exists is contained within naturally formed glass on the moon. But there, I love that sentence. They also are hypothesizing that with that discovery, there might be also, like, basically ice deposits in some of the the craters that, because of the way they're angled and the way they're shaped, never get sunlight.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I can't remember exactly what they call them. I should have wrote that down. Oh, uh, cold traps. And... Even though some cold traps that they have been observing are only the size of a penny, there is total approximately 7,000 square miles worth of cold traps that they can potentially uh, check for. Wow. (laughs) Uh, So basically it opens up a lot of extra questions because everyone was already pretty sure there was some form of water on the moon, See, I'm behind enough in science that I wasn't aware that we were pretty
1: sure of that. I mean, I knew we've been confirming more and more places have water, which is fun because it makes us less and less special. That's a weird sentence to mm-hmm. say. But when, when you are a believer in the sci-fi Star Trek concepts of getting out there and seeing what's out there and that we're you know probably not alone and that there could be life elsewhere and that the stars are where we're kind of meant to be, be, us being less special makes all of
0: that a lot easier.
1: You know, there's water elsewhere. There could be life elsewhere. On the moon, almost certainly not.
0: Right. But, but now it. the questions are, how does this affect future mining eth- efforts? Is there ways to extract it? Is there ways to extract it in great enough quantities so that uh, future moon bases don't have to rely on earth water?
1: Moon bases is and like exploration based science based moon bases is literally the only way you can say the words mining on the moon without making me ridiculously angry. I am not a supporter. I mean, people are like, Oh, we need to go to the moon and mine its resources. I'm like, you Get the fuck away from that.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, maybe maybe it's helium like in the movie Moon, but not like in the movie Moon because that was fucking terrible. Oh, yeah, uh, movie Moon is that. you don't want to be. <laughs> Sam Rockwell in the movie Moon, no. like... Other than if you want to be giving, like, the performance of a lifetime. Oh, yeah, no, he
1: kills it in that movie.
0: <laughs> but you also don't want but to be he dies in that movie, in that movie like, 40 times. <laughs> but I also don't know if we need any... I mean, I know we're running out of helium on Earth, but I don't know what we need it for, so... I don't know. Uh, I just...
1: To get a little more political than we usually go on this show, I do not trust any country to claim the moon. So if we're going to, you know, do something like that, one, we have to preserve the moon. We all, like, Mm -hmm. we haven't fucked it up yet, and I appreciate that. But we're going to have to do that globally, because one country claims the moon, and things are going to get
0: real bad. Boots on the moon! Uh, Anyway. Moon water. That's super cool. Contained in glass, which sounds super sci-fi as fuck, and it's awesome.
1: Yes, we should just do a fucking I don't know, like like actual historical episode. episode. Yeah, like (laughs) let's fucking general nerdery about the Apollos. (laughs) Like, I'd be down. Oh my god, that'd be cool. I was super into that shit when I
0: was in like third grade. Guess what? Mm. Double the moon news today because Deadline's reporting that Oscar Isaac is going to probably be our Moon Knight. For real? Yeah. In a movie? Or a show. I think they're doing a show for Disney Plus is the idea for Moon Knight. You have been
1: really excited for Moon Knight. I have been mildly Mm. interested because when Moon Knight is done well, it is a truly excellent, weird, fucking story. And when Moon Knight is done badly, he is... A lazy cross between Batman and the Punisher with a whole lot of, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, word, but basically shaming of crazy people.
0: Oh yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point.
1: Like when he's done badly, he goes really
0: badly, but he also has the potential to be real fucking cool. I... First off, I'm really excited for this just because this is way better than the previous rumor. Which was? Well, the previous thing was just a rumor. With Deadline reporting that Oscar Isaac's in talks, he's most likely going to be in the show, just possibly not as Moon Knight, but also if you're getting Oscar Isaac in the Moon Knight show. You're
1: probably getting him to be Moon Knight. Like, that's. What a fucking waste to have him in, like, a big second, like, as the cop or something. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: There's no sense in getting Oscar Isaac for Moon Knight unless you're getting him as. Mark Spector.
1: Oh, and he could kill it.
0: Right. Uh, the previous big rumor was Keanu.
1: Oh, I remember you told me about that.
0: I didn't really care. I don't I... think he has the range for it. I love me some Keanu. But if you're going to play Moon Knight, you have to be able to play multiple characters.
1: And Keanu sort of plays Keanu, and that's fine.
0: And he has, thanks to the John Wick movies, he has the training to be a believable Mark Spector. Mm-hmm. So I understand why that rumor was there, but I think it's not a good choice.
1: I'm not against a Keanu superhero. I'm not sure who I would want him to play. Oscar Isaac, the more I think about this, the more I like it. It does, my my main thought is you need to fucking base it off of the Warren Ellis Moon Knight. And then I'm like, fuck, I'm trying not to support Warren Ellis as much, but you need to base this off the Warren Ellis. Like, let's be real. It's so... Good. It treats the multiple personalities respectfully, largely because it's like, this is not how multiple personalities work. This is like, this is how he works. Yes. The, (laughs) the line (laughs) that the uh, doctor that talked to him at the beginning is like, whoever diagnosed you with this should not be allowed to diagnose people. Like this is not what's going on. And the idea is that he doesn't have a poorly defined, poorly portrayed personality disorder. He literally got touched by a God and like shifts, but with different phases of the moon to different personalities. Yeah.
0: The, I believe that same doctor describes it as being like, it's more like your brain was colonized.
1: Yeah. Um, and I can't remember. It's not multiple personality disorder now. It's, uh, 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 dissociative identity dissociative identity disorder i think is the or i I don't even think they're using the term disorder anymore but that is a very real thing and i am not against the idea of a superhero or any or more movies portraying that i think that could be really interesting moon knight does not do it well is the point that we are making here like i want to make sure that i'm not being like no it's good that they don't have this person with this mental problem but if you're going to do that you have to Really really do do it
0: correctly. You have to make sure it's defined as this is Moon Knight. Uh Uh-huh. This isn't (laughs) this person. This isn't this disorder. This is Mm. the bad side of Touched by an Angel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Except Touched by a Honshu.
0: Um, Uh, Also, yes, give me Brown Moon Knight all day long. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's... Yeah. And I can imagine... Like I said, I think he has the range, because, like, I can't see Keanu pulling off the cab driver. It'd be a little harder. Um, What? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Jake? Jake something,
1: and then Mark Spector, and then there's a third one, too, and I don't
0: remember. Uh, I can see Oscar Isaac doing that, and then shifting to being the movie producer. And then shifting into a fucking dope-ass, pure white suit, like...
1: Yeah, I want the pure white suit to glow, not yeah. like hardcore glow, but it but just needs to subtle. like subtle, really pop in everything. Because as Moon Knight puts it, he wants them to see them coming. Like every once in a while, they'll do Moon Knight of like, oh, let's make it more like gray or add a lot more black in. The Warren Ellis run did it. It looks good, but it's best when it, everything on it is white. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, let's add a bunch of gold. I'm like, no, I want him fucking. White.
0: Monochrome. Boom. (laughs) It's a good look. Uh that's I mean, the look was what brought me to Moon Knight in the first place, but we can do it we can do a whole Moon Knight episode sometime. Uh either way, Oscar Isaac's probably our Moon Knight. Sweet. Great. Awesome. And then yeah, this last one I feel like I'm I'm supposed to be excited for, considering who I am and my interests, and I just can't get to it, so I wanted to bring it up. Tim Burton is shopping around a rebooted Adams family.
1: I did see something about this. I don't
0: know Netflix just, is, actually, not even I don't know, but just know. I, I there's a couple different companies that they're shopping it out to. Netflix seems to be where it's probably going to end up. Um, and it's Tim it would be for sure executive produced by Tim Burton, um, Alfred Gough, and Miles Miller. Alfred Goff and Miles Miller are the the, uh, Smallville.
1: Yeah. See, those two doing it is way more interesting. I don't want
0: Tim Burton presents the Adams Family. It seems like it, like, I feel like to most people that seems like a really good fit, right? I just... But I don't, I just don't think so. I like Tim Burton. I enjoy Tim Burton, but he always has to make things feel Tim Burton-y. I'm kind of done with Tim Burton, is the thing. Like, I just don't
1: super feel it. And you know he's going to want to hire Johnny Depp to be Gomez Adams and possibly his ex-wife to be Morticia.
0: Like, I mean, they this creative team is letting down everybody in the world if they don't try to get Christina Ricci to be Morticia.
1: That would be really fun. Um, I worry that it would be too, like you know, winking at the audience to do it that way. But also I like Christina Ricci and she was Wednesday Adams. So like, it'd be a fun combo. Like a lot of people, I'm super into Gomez and Morticia lately, especially since I got married and having representation of a husband and wife that like each other. Like I already like wished we saw more of that. And these two are like the ultimate representation of it because I am so done with the trope of you know, the married with children husband and wife who don't like each other, the the, the ball and chain trope. Fucking hate that trope. So yay, more Adams family. <sighs> Tim Burtoning it feels lazy, I think is what it is. You're gonna lose some of the Adams family feel to get the Tim Burton feel.
0: And I, I think I mean like Gomez and Morticia are loving. Mm -hmm. Tim Burton makes every character he touches have to feel like a lonely outcast.
1: Yeah, and I don't want them...
0: But this is a family that is very much... They might be outcast by everybody else, but there's a very warm, loving heart to that family. they
1: are not outcasts. Um, It's in the same way that... Oh, God, what was that? There was that, like, ghost and vampire uh, uh, soap opera that ran for, like, 300 episodes that he redid a few years oh, back. uh, Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows felt more like Burton than it felt like Dark Shadows. He had talked about redoing the monsters. It would have felt more like Burton. There was a monsters redo a couple years back that I actually,
0: like, they did a pilot episode and never picked it up, and I really liked it. I mean, Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd, I really enjoy as... Very noticeably being Tim Burton, Sweeney Todd, and not Sweeney Sweeney Todd. Todd.
1: I mean, my favorite Tim Burton is probably Big Fish, which is the least Tim Burton-y Tim Burton. Like, it still has his fingerprints all over it, but it's not gothic horror every... It's like American Gothic instead, which is really fun to Mm -hmm. see. Like, you can have some light scenes. Um, Thinking of Oscar Isaacs, he actually played gomez in the oh, animated one that came out right. recently which was supposed to be really bad but i loved that that's an amazing cast choice. yeah i loved that casting choice for him the others didn't care so much but uh i've seen he's... a lot of the
0: internet likes uh the idea of rami malik as gomez Are... i don't know who i would go for as gomez these days honestly you know
1: especially since i don't watch a ton of movies like since I'm not super deep into who actors are I would really love people that I've never fucking heard of that I can just enjoy them in the role I think Rami Mala could do it right it's hard to beat Raul Julia exactly (laughs) and I know there was a guy before who
0: played the character for fucking Samwise's dad sure Oh, fucking, it's uh, Sean Astin's father. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, John Astin. Yeah, John Astin also voiced him in the cartoons. Like, he played him for, like, 50 years. I think I got his name right. John, that sounds right. I'm going to look that up real okay. quick. Yeah, John Astin.
1: Like, I'm, a lot of credit to him, but I'm, I grew up on Raul, so.
0: <laughs> Same here. Uh, and, I mean, I've always really dug The Addams Family since I first encountered it. Like, I've sought out some of that stuff, some of the original Charles Adams cartoons. right
1: mix of horror and charming in a way that I have really appreciated. And it's as someone in your case who loves old sitcoms and horror, they're like literally made for you. Yeah, them and the monsters
0: fucking love both of you.
1: I have a deeper appreciation for the monsters because my mom recorded a Nick at Night Monsters Marathon when I was mm. a kid, and that was like the
0: VHS we had, so I watched like that and Beast Wars. I I do feel like the Monsters sitcom was better than the Addams Family sitcom. I've sought out more of the Addams Family. Uh, from the past and most people tend to go the other way like i liked it but i felt like the monsters overall had more personality through the entire family that's fair i don't know anyway like i said i wish i could get more excited for this because i think for a lot of people it feels like a natural fit i don't see it as much but also maybe alfred goff and miles miller will even that out. Let him executive produce to make sure that the
1: it gets out there. Let Miles Miller and Alfred Goff pick someone to show run for them. I mean, that, they could be showrunners. They did well. No, that the executive role, but...
0: producer is showrunner. Oh, and so okay. they are all three going to be showrunners on this.
1: All right. Let Tim Burton be the largely in name, and then let them ear that or give them enough power to like tell him no. Mm-hmm. And it could be really good. I mean, like, Smallville is not great TV, but they have a good idea of how to make episodic uh, television and, you know, sci-fi fantasy television. Right. Get good enough writers. This could be really great. I don't need it to be deep. I need it to be charming and
0: funny. Oh, recently they also did Into the Badlands. I've heard that's good. I... Yeah, I've heard it. I did start it at one point, and I wasn't too immediately pulled in. But I know a lot of people that are like, "Oh no, just give it just a tiny I bit more time." I did hear it
1: started badly. Yeah, they're and like, then "No, just give good. it a
0: little bit more time." And so I'll I'll come back to it at some point because it's it's definitely right up my alley. What the ideas behind it are. So uh, that's all I got for this week.
1: All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about stuff. <laughs> So, this episode comes out, I
0: believe, the day after the Day of the Dead, which is why we picked this. Well, I mean, technically this episode will be um, set up to drop at midnight, so it's right on that transition point. Uh, uh, Close close enough either way. And depending Um, where and how you have been celebrating it, it gets celebrated on both different days, so...
1: Yeah, uh, generally on the second, and I don't know if they're doing it this year, I hope not, Missoula, where we live, has a long history of doing a Day of the Dead parade, which is what got me into Day of the Dead, but these days I have very conflicted feelings about because I have heard very strong endorsements and condemnations of our parade because it's mostly a bunch of college kids in Montana. Like, it's not the world's most accurate Day of the Dead parade, but it is generally well-meaning?
0: Uh, all right, I'm brown, I enjoy it.
1: (laughs) Okay. And, and like- I
0: know some don't, but like- That's what I mean by very conflicted, because I am
1: of the opinion that I don't really get to have a say on this one, but I know people who do get to have a say, like you, who really love it, and I know other ones that really hate it. So, as I said, I have conflicted feelings about it, but it was one of my favorite memories every year growing up, going to the Day of the Dead Parade.
0: Yeah, I dig it, though. I should also say, like, okay, i if you're a regular listener, you already know I'm brown. At some point... You do not hide it. At some point, I've probably actually mentioned Mexican-American. hmm I'm not sure if we've ever went deep enough to the point where, like, and it pertains to what we're talking about, Yeah, like, we can't
1: really talk about Coco without talking
0: about Day of the Dead. Like, I'm third generation. Like, my family doesn't do Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't do a friend does, but there, there's things that we have held on to. We don't even say our fucking name right.
1: Yeah, you say it's Reese, and it the white boy in me keeps on to be
0: like, are you sure it's not Ruiz? <laughs> but Which wouldn't have been right either. And I don't, There, that's some of that history, I just don't know. Like, you hear stories from a lot of, like, first generation um, about, like, the push to assimilate and just, like, fly low, get undercover, get in, don't deal with this shit. And I'm like, I have to assume some of that happened at some point because we very purposely don't say my fucking last name right. We say Reese. And, but my family's also very upfront about it. We're just like, nobody ever got it right anyway. And we live in the fucking United States. Like <laughs> we
1: live in, you said Ronan, you live in like small town, Montana.
0: Not even, no, Ronan's bigger, superior. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Small small town Montana.
0: But even like uh, even my family that lives in San Diego doesn't say it a hundred percent correctly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like m- my my uncle married uh, another Mexican gal, so she says it correctly.
1: She... <laughs> the only one in the entire family.
0: Because <laughs> she came from outside the family and just adopted the name, knowing only how to say it correctly. Uh huh. <laughs> But we don't. Um, so th- it's... So I, I understand how it's different for me than it would be for somebody else. Because I like it because I don't have anything else up here to latch on to.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
0: So I'm like, this is something that's recognizably close. It's helping normalize some of this stuff, which is super cool. Because... Uh, I really do wish that white people in general were more comfortable with death the way the Mexicans in general are. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and I mean, as I said, I have
0: conflicting feelings about
1: it because enough, I've heard enough arguments both directions about mm-hmm. it that I think have valid points. But I also have uh, paper mache skull masks, Day of the Dead masks, that my mom made for the parade from when I was a kid that I just like stole all of them.
0: Right. And the other thing I always think of is the fact that, like, when you really look into the history of the the holiday, having a regional variation is kind of par for the course. hmm So having that simply be Missoula's Day of the Dead and not necessarily representative of Day of the Dead is still pretty standard for Day of the Dead.
1: I think part of it comes from we didn't necessarily steal it as much. I mean, Missoula sort of did, but, like... Uh, this is less appropriation wearing a Native American headdress at Coachella and more something that's more freely offered and something that like was less like, this is ours now.
0: And I know that this, this opinion is extremely subjective, but um, I'm all for more people wearing the fucking sugar skull makeup and shit just because that means i get to see it more places and i like and i like that
1: so i love the art style (laughs) i mean i've got a tattoo that it's not a sugar skull but it's a skull and we definitely borrowed from some of the like color and
0: design setup for it so for me it just means i get to see it more Mm -hmm. i guess that's where i'm coming from anyway it pertains it's all cocoa based we get into it which is a
1: very long-winded way of kind of entering into Coco, which is about Day of the Dead and kind of our relationship to what little access we have. And this entire movie is one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen, definitely because it leans into the Day of the Dead design, which has always been just stunning to me.
0: Oh, it's just, oh, the animation in this is just so gorgeous all around. This movie makes me so happy that I... Uh, have the ability to view things in 4K.
1: Let's use... I just... The entire idea of, like, let's do stuff about death but still let it be colorful is my favorite thing because we cannot resist black, red, and white, the crow, gothic bullshit in America. And sometimes that's great. But as a man who wants to wear most colors of the rainbow on any average day, this appeals to me more.
0: And for me... Who generally likes wearing two colors, black and white? <laughs> I am wearing like pretty much just black and white today. While I'm saying, I know this, I'm like, way more colorful than. <laughs> I'm, all, all I'm wearing is a flannel, and I'm way more colorful than I normally am. Yeah, it's my like, I'm cold sweatshirt. Uh. <laughs> I usually go with just like the, I mean, the black like mm-hmm. metal T-shirt, right? Like even I, I enjoy the look of this movie because the look of this movie makes me feel like i'm with my family mm-hmm. even though we're a couple generations removed there's enough things that we always kept that the the signifiers are there the, the these little cultural touchstones that, that makes sense because like i i mean i grew up in montana but when family would come to visit like suddenly it was toTa we'd be passing the leche to Put on her fucking milk. Like my I don't know Spanish very well and what a little I know is fucking horrendous. But um I don't know. This movie anyway, let's say this was your first time watching it. I watch this movie all the time. Yes,
1: but apparently this episode <laughs> entirely talks, talks about time. his heritage, uh which is fucking amazing. I've not heard some of this. Um yeah. I mean, I went in knowing I was going to cry because people have been telling me for years. It's part of the reason why I haven't watched it up to now because I don't mind a good cry, but, like, I don't know. uh, When I was like, I'm going to watch a cartoon to relax, which is usually when I watch a Pixar movie, the one that will make you cry 15 times wasn't the one that, like, (laughs) I thought I'd go for, but it's probably the one in the future I will. This is... Possibly my favorite Pixar movie. It's in the top three at the very least with Up and uh, WALL-E.
0: Would you believe it's only my number two with how much I've been gushing about it? What's your favorite? Inside Out. I've not seen it. I think Inside Out just... That's the emotions one, yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like I said, as much as this movie, like, Coco can make me cry in like three or four different parts of the movie if I think about it hard enough. I only get like one really, like one cry out of Inside Out, but it hits like it, so hard. It hits. It. I couldn't say Bing Bong for like a year, dude. <laughs> uh,
1: so last night, sitting down to watch this movie, is where I found out that the specific day that my wife's grandmother, who she was very close to, died, was on Halloween night slash Day of the Dead morning. Oh, shit. (laughs) Like Somewhere between October 31st and November 1st. I was like, oh, man, this movie is going to be... This movie is going to hit home for you in about 16 different ways. But she also very
0: much enjoyed it, so that's what's important. Good. Good. Um... I guess... I mean, it it was your first time. what, uh, What all, like, popped through it? Like, what things really...
1: Okay, so I guess basic summary of this movie... Child whose great-great-grandfather? Great-great-great-grandfather? Somewhere along the... uh, Grandfather a few times removed. Great-great. Great-great-grandfather dis-a-fucking-peers to go play music. The entire family, in the, like, reacted trauma of that, decide that no music ever, which was... Honestly, my first thought was how wildly abusive their behavior is And he, when they found out he kind of likes music. Mm-hmm. Like, they just... That is straight-up bad family behavior, even though they're not necessarily a bad family. Uh, a kid wants to be a musician, and thanks to various shenanigans of the combination of I want to be a musician and stay at the dead, finds himself cursed and on the other side in the kind of Deadlands.
0: Very like yeah, Shadow yeah, yeah. Man-y kind of thing, except more fun. Or, uh, like, uh, Grim Fandango-ish. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
1: um, what's fun is, and without diving into what the twist is, they do set up a twist really well that, like, I thought I knew which way the movie was going, and I really quickly started to suspect I was wrong, but I wasn't quite right either on, like, It throws a couple of zigzags that I wasn't quite expecting a few times. Um, In retrospect, most of them are very obvious, but I was caught up enough in the show that I was fine
0: with it. This movie is so good for rewatching just because of spoilers. Remember me? Yeah, completely changes.
1: The, The last part of this movie completely changes the feeling of that first part. I did have the thought, because he goes over into Day of the Dead world, and we learn that basically as long as the dead are remembered and their photos are placed on the... Ofrenda. Ofrenda, thank you. The dead live in this other world and, you know, stay there and can come back on Day of the Dead. Does that mean that the afterlife only exists
0: for Mexicans? At least that afterlife. (laughs) We get the cool one where everybody's happy so and carding all kicks the time.
1: Ass, <laughs> and I eternally love the amount that they use Frida Kahlo in this
0: fucking movie. <laughs> I had no idea that so much Frida in this kind of weirded me out the first time because, like, I appreciate Frida. Frida's never been my favorite.
1: <laughs> Frida's not my favorite, but Frida's one of my mom's favorites,
0: mm. and my mom
1: installed a lot of instilled, not installed instilled a lot of my love of art into me. So I have a deep appreciation for Frida and the scene where she's first portraying the dancers and they're all her and they climb out of the thing. That's also all her onto the, uh, onto the cactus. That is also all her. I don't know if that's accurate to Frida, but it is one of the most accurate performance art bullshit things I have ever seen in my life.
0: I'm glad you brought up that scene. Cause that shit's also kind of dirty.
1: It's so funny, though. <laughs>
0: well, papaya is used as slang for lady parts.
1: Yeah, it all tracks. So, I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Frida's crawl, crawling out of the papaya onto the giant phallic structure and drinking its tears is also super just artsy-fartsy bullshit.
1: Look, man, if you're going to do performance art and you're not referencing sex like ten times in it, you're not actually doing right?
0: performance art. It's fucking funny, though. I was like, oh, shit, this is in a Pixar movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pixar follows the long Disney tradition of their animators are perverts.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now I'm ha- I'm hoping now that that's the afterlife I get to go to. I, I want
1: to go to it. Like, either that in or The Fenda. Good Place. Um... <laughs> I did wonder, like, is there an afterlife after that? Is it just done? They, ne- they never answer that. They never really worry about that. Like, the one dude disappears. Right, at the the final death. Super sad, and you're like, is it just done now? Don't I don't know. care too much about the afterlife in real life, but I desperately want to know the afterlife <laughs> of that one character <laughs> whose fucking shin was stolen or something like that. His femur. Like, femur? Like, it's a funny line, but... Where's my femur? You promised you to return it. Is the most
0: fucked up thing <laughs> when you're messing with the skeleton. <laughs> like. Oh, poor <laughs> Uh, Who was played by uh, Eddie James Olmos? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Admiral Dama himself, B Star G. Uh, Detective Graf, Blade Runner.
1: Oh, my God. I forgot that's him.
0: Yeah. Almost
1: Captain Picard? Really? Yeah. I don't know if he still would have been called Picard, but. Uh, he was a contender to be the final captain for TNG. And I think he turned it down? I don't know if he turned it down or if he just didn't get it, but I always felt like he took Battlestar Galactica to be like, I'll be a captain of something!
0: Yeah, fucking Adama's the shit, too, so...
1: He would have been a great Star Trek captain. Like, I will never not be glad that Patrick Stewart got that fucking job, because he's Patrick fucking Stewart,
0: but... Hey, yeah. James almost would have fucking killed it. So good, so good. Um yeah, what else? So, I remember I I remember going into this movie for the first time knowing that it was about like music and knowing it was like Disney Pixar, I was actually expecting a musical, and it's not. I I did expect it to be more of a musical than I got, and it would have it's just a story about
1: music. Parts of it would have worked really well as a musical. Parts of it, I'm glad they didn't. You were showing me a deleted scene where the family was singing and the family wasn't as anti-music in that version of the movie. But man, it felt wrong. Like I did not like how anti-music the family was, which is interesting because music isn't a huge thing for me. But I was still just like, what the fuck? I knew going in that it was about Day of the Dead, that music was a big part of it, that it was going to be very Mexican, very music, and that it was going to make me cry about a grandma. Because it's one of Roar's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And two of the three of those is basically just his personality. I, I don't... He's never made me cry about his grandmother, but he probably could. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I none of it was particularly surprising to me. Okay. But I did get to just kind of go
0: in and enjoy the experience. Yeah. I at this point, like I said, I've watched this movie a lot. So at this point I'm like just I'm in the in the portion of my ride with this movie where I'm starting to notice just all the stupid attention to I detail. I guarantee you I didn't
1: notice most of those because I was too busy riding the ride for the first time. Uh I did love the fucking cat eagle creature and being the like fifteen different colors. The the spirit guide of the great great grandmother.
0: Oh yeah uh, Pepita.
1: Yeah. And then look fucking that thing was so cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, her uh alabriha.
1: And did such a good job of like at first being super intimidating and then being super cute.
0: Eh, yeah, cute. <laughs> like they're still were pretty intimidating. Like,
1: yes, but like From seeming directly villainous to directly heroic really quickly. Mm -hmm. And still feeling like that shift was organic. Not like, oh, I guess he's a hero now.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, just the attention to detail. So all of the guitar fingering is accurate.
1: Would not have known that. Am not surprised by that. That's the kind of shit Pixar does so well.
0: The To go along with, like... The remembrance aspect and family and building on each other, the actual architecture of the Land of the Dead. Mm-hmm. If you look at the base of those towers, it's the the pyramids. Oh, that makes sense. And then it the architecture changes and gets more modern as it's all built on each oh, that's other. That's super cool. I noticed there were a lot of like skulls, even in that, like with
1: the lights and the use of negative space. I saw a couple skulls in there, mm-hmm. which is just cool. As someone who needs to learn to use the negative space better,
0: uh, God, I didn't, I didn't rewatch the same feature to get the exact number that I watched uh, some other time, so I, I don't remember the exact number. But I want to say that the Land of the Dead has four billion independent light sources Holy that they were shit. rendering
1: that's insane.
0: Yeah. Oh my god.
1: Uh the color as I mean we've already mentioned the color but I just cannot get over all of the color all of the time. When the
0: color's not there it feels super strong. The family, the family are a bunch of shoemakers, mm-hmm. so they know how to follow Miguel's Tracks because they look down and they're like size seven and a half pronated, which he's wearing shoes, so you don't see. But Hector's gait Mm -hmm. is what you would have if you had the same pronated. Interesting, that's insane, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, I
1: really liked the family. And the first time you see them, and they're all like, Oh, hey, uh, what's the kid's name again? I'm sorry, uh, Uh, Miguel, Miguel, oh, Miguel, hey, what's up? (laughs) Like. (laughs) <laughs> They're all so chill about it and they all know like everything about their family but also though like what are you doing here? Um the dead family was super charming like I was really ready to really hate great grandmother and still mm. she's definitely the the great great grandmother and grandmother so the generations between Coco are definitely not my favorite characters although I did like that both of them get a much wider range than they're initially
0: portrayed as. I was going to say, one of the things with this story is it's kind of complicated, especially if we're still technically being aimed a bit younger, because it's not just Miguel's right and the family's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's they kind of have to come to an understanding about each other.
1: Yeah. You know, the family is important, that's important, but also family don't be a dick and don't smash his guitar like that. Right. No, um, uh, which I do appreciate as someone who does have a sometimes complicated relationship with family, but it remains extremely important to me. And also as someone who has been the kid like, and eh, no, and then I was so determined. I was never going to have anything to do with radio mm-hmm. as a kid. And now I'm on like five podcasts which is not radio but it's, it's 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 kind of as close as this generation is gonna get anymore
0: mm-hmm. god i'm just trying to think back to my own first time through so for me because of what this movie is i wasn't i knew it was gonna make me cry as well at some point because it was coming off inside out which like i said fucking cratered me emotionally hmm Uh, so I'm like, okay, they're going to do it again. And I know they're already going to get me. I'm going to cry at some point just because I'm Mexican American and it's Coco. So something's going to get me. These motherfuckers got me 10 minutes in. Which when, when Miguel is running through the cemetery to get the guitar. Yeah. To go play in the battle of the bands. He passes by um, some offerings left on one of the tombstones, and uh, there's some pan dulce. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know what that is. Um, which is uh, a Mexican sweetbread. Oh, okay. Oh, I've had that before. Yes. Which we, you, can't, you can't really get up here. Yeah. And so it was one of the things growing up that my grandpa, whenever he would come up to visit from San Diego... Would bring us in a giant Tupperware container full, and we would do our best to make it last as long as possible. You couldn't have any more than like half a piece a day. <laughs> <laughs> but we would—I mean, it would—and it would be our our treat for the next month after after Grandpa came and visited. Um, and still, like some of some of my family's favorite desserts to this day. Now, there's actually different varieties, and. I didn't know that at the time growing up. It was all Pundul said to me. Mm-hmm. Learning now as I've grown older, my favorite were the Conchas, and that's what was on the on the tombstone. And my grandfather has been passed for a while, so seeing that
1: automatic grandfather, oh. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I will say
1: one of my favorite one of my favorite throwaway moments is when he's talking about Coco isn't even really aware of what's going on most of the time anymore but it's good to talk to her. So he does. And it shows him like telling stories and uh, when he's luchadors. like, Yes, that's exactly it. And he's got the, and I'm like, Oh, that's cute. He's got the luchador mask. And then he dives and you see that like he put one on her too. And I'm like, all right, that's just amazing. That's like really including. And because she's so unaware for most of it, when she does come to and actually has a moment of lucidity is so powerful later on. This is an interesting movie. We're not really talking about any of what, like, you, sometimes we're like, and this happens, and this happens, and it's not how this movie's rolling. Episodes rolling for us. Yeah. It, this movie is kind of an interesting examination on the concept of generational trauma. Mm. Like, we have talked about not we have talked about, but it's been talked about that you kind of inherit your parents' traumas because without meaning to, you kind of inherit the trauma responses. You know, your dad or whoever, I'm not I don't know if your dad specifically does these things, but uh, your your parents has these trauma responses that we adopt because you just mimic your parents as a kid. like that's and it can go on for generations this way. studies are proving. Mm -hmm. You can see it really strong here of great, great grandma abandons music and gets into shoes because her husband disappears and it, you know, we're now four or five generations later and it's still going that way. Like that is, that is literally what generational trauma is. And I think this is a really, this movie was, would be a really good example of like, introducing children to that, or even adults, mm, mm-hmm. in ways that would be easy to explain. Yeah. I agree. And then also it's just really cute and colorful
0: and that's going to make me cry because it makes you feel feelings. Yeah, I mean, I guess you pointed out we didn't really go through with it. So that all, this all makes sense in case you haven't seen the movie and for some reason you're still listening to us talk.
1: I mean, we said the first... We did like a two-second <clears throat> definition. <laughs>
0: Go ahead. Anyways, I'm sorry. Um, what is it? He goes to the land of the dead. In order to get back, he has to get his family's blessing. His great-great-grandmama uh, gives the blessing under
1: the condition that he never plays music again, which he doesn't want to do
0: because he desperately wants to be a musician and is quite talented. But he's pretty sure that his great-great-grandpa is, like, the greatest music, Mexican musician of all time, Ernesto de la Cruz. So he enlists the help of this uh, poor beggar mariachi skeleton. Who's at risk of being forgotten. And who says he knows de la Cruz to go get him basically up into his mansion. So he can be like, yo, dude, like, I don't really need anything from you but to say that you give me your blessing and that, like, you're a musician, I'm a musician, so that's going to be cool with you, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which was... I don't really want to go too far into the movie beyond that. Other than, you know, the things that are making us have thoughts. But, uh... Because I just like the experience of this movie. And how, as you said, it's not so much that the family is wrong and he's right. The, the characters who are directly villains at first definitely aren't. And as much as I said the great-great-grandma is not my favorite character when she gets pissed and starts hitting someone with a shoe and that entire... I'm um, uh, it, it, uh,
0: My favorite scene in the movie I
1: can't talk about because I don't want to
0: spoil things. Let's talk about it for like three minutes. Okay. Spoiler warning. If you don't want to hear it... Stop here. All right, do it. You got three minutes.
1: Turns out that De La Cruz is not his great, great... Grandfather, but that uh, Hector, yeah, the mariachi bum, is, and that Hector was murdered by De La Cruz. De La Cruz stole all of his stuff, and became a world famous musician. When Hector was like, "Wow, I need to go see my family again. Like, I, I, I can't just ditch them." Mm-hmm. And when she hits him with the shoe, and that's for killing the love of my life. And he's like, wait, I'm the love of your life? (laughs) Is that entire scene, that bit, that is the first real moment that I really am like, oh, okay, this is why everyone likes Mm great-great-grandma. Because she's extremely likable when she's not being a domineering bitch. Right. And in the first parts, she kind of is. That's what she is. And I appreciate that they take that stereotype and then
0: just completely throw it on its ear. Mm Mm-hmm. She was just... She was hurt. Still. She was hurt. the love of her Bad life. Bad.
1: And ditched alone with a kid. Like, she has real reason to be unhappy. Don't get me wrong. I just... The... uh You can never be a musician Think. Oh, no. That was some bullshit. That is... Yeah. If...
0: Man, if we're going to be real, like, the... The most unbelievable part of this movie to me is them enforcing that rule for that long... With how much Mexicans in general love music.
1: (laughs) Just anyone. He goes outside and, like, music's automatically there. I mean, like, they have a mariachi band walking down the street and she kicks open the not her, but her granddaughter. Yeah, yeah. uh, Kicks open the door and is like, no music. Like, if you ever let the kid leave the compound, it's too late. You've lost. Also, the people who marry into that family. How yeah. much does it suck for them that they just have to ditch music I've, forever? Right, I have no idea. Like that it's was a kid's m- cartoon. We don't actually have to go into the like roots of this, but it's the kind of things I think about.
0: That was the most unbelievable part for me. But what I I got it. Like whatever. Like it's oh. also uh, I'm also watching a cartoon. So do I, I have time it, like, for my favorite line? Yes.
1: Uh, my uh, the uh. He's like, I'm so sorry, your great-grandfather's me. And he's like, are you kidding? A minute ago, I thought my great-great-grandfather was a murderer. This is so much better. (laughs) It's
0: such a good line. Oh, man. Yeah, that's good. What was... um, We... You kind of already told me a little bit before we started recording, but what was your favorite song? Because it is a movie about music in a big way. Uh, Because I've only seen this movie once and Remember Me is
1: so catchy, I literally could tell you nothing about it. But the one I enjoyed the most is the song that he plays when he's like in the uh, music contest to try and get into. Un poco loco.
0: Yes. That's my favorite. That so. song's great. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and the entire
1: time, I was like really into it. But as I said, "Remember Me" is super catchy, and I don't have this soundtrack down yet. I'll probably download it in the same way that I, you know, went with Moana and mm-hmm. got super into that soundtrack for a while. It's a, it's a really good soundtrack. I've listened through it a few times. Same guy who did Hamilton, uh, or Moana, not Coco. Although I bet he could do it too. <laughs> Lin Manuel has a lot of taste for me. Um... Is there anything else that you want to bring up and talk not about really? I mostly just want to like celebrate this. Like my goal for this episode was to celebrate this movie in the off chance that someone hasn't seen it like me and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because it's like when you t- just tell someone, oh, you're going to cry that that's not actually a great endorsement of a movie. <laughs> and this is a really great movie.
0: So this might be a little bit of a stretch. But I, I couldn't help but wonder this, especially with one of the choices of songs in the movie. The Mexican boogeyman is Cucuy, Okay. But depending on where you're at, it's El Coco. like the mutants. So a movie set in the Land of the Dead named Coco then being about a kid is kind of a fake out. Yeah. But I'm wondering if that was still also hinted at a little bit because uh, at the end of the movie... The song that uh, Grandma Melda sings is La Llorona. La Llorona is also kind of used as like a boogeyman figure in Mexico to like, don't stay out after dark or else La Llorona is going to get you. She's supposed to be... I've heard of her. She's a ghost that's... uh, had a couple kids. The story goes she had a couple kids, found out her husband was cheating on her. Kills her kids. In her grief, kills her kids. Was we done Unsolved did a fucking episode with her. Right. And then she uh, kills herself and now wanders as a... Looking for the spirit of her kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering with, like, Coco and La Llorona, if it was supposed to be a little nod. She at is like... trying
1: to, like, chase down her kids. No, there's no way that's not on
0: purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Well, I mean, but just also like if, because Coco, like I said, it's usually kokui, but it can be Coco. Coco is also Coconut, but it's also short for uh, Socorro, which is uh, Grandma Coco's name, as is actually explained in the novelization. Deep. This is some fucking (laughs) deep shit
1: here. Pixar? Is this Pixar or is this just Disney? I don't. This is, um, I think it's Pixar. Pixar. Okay. Yeah. Well, Disney sometimes does 3D and not Pixar, so I'm never sure anymore.
0: Yeah, it's Disney-Pixar. Cool. Anyway, I thought that was neat. I always thought it was cool, especially just because I do know Kukui and La Llorona. And I was actually... There's also a different um, variation of the La Llorona story, which is actually how I was introduced to it, in which she gets conflated with uh, La Malinche, who... I've heard something about this, but I don't... Uh, the, the story isn't much different other than it just makes these two characters the same person. La Malinche is the name for... that's usually given to one of the slaves that was sold to Hernan Cortez when he was conquering the Aztecs, uh, and then who bore him his first child. Nothing happy in that person's life. And who supposedly helped with the overthrow of Tenochtitlan. And so it's this... She's a really weird figure... Because, like, I, like um, Katrina before, who, like, had its roots in kind of mocking these people wanting to be European, but then becoming, like, the face of Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. La Malinche is both, like, a symbol for treachery, but also, like, the mother of the modern Mexican people. As her son was, like, basically the first mestizo.
1: Yep, that's complicated as all fucking get out.
0: Oh boy. Um, and who also gets conflated in with some of the older myths that Katrina gets conflated in with that all also tie into like Day of the Dead and why all the skulls have popped up for centuries in Mexican artwork, not just in the time that we know of Day of the Dead as we know it and the stuff.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So I don't know. I find it all super interesting and it's stuff that I'm still learning about myself because I grew up in Montana. So it's doubly interesting for me to find out about some of this shit for the first time. But
1: Yeah, that's going to happen.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad this movie exists because the other thing when I watch this movie for the first time is it just reminded me of what I did have growing up mm-hmm. to cling on to. Because looking back on it, it's really weird because like... Dad always really sneakily made sure that we had, like... Bits of Mexican culture. Yeah. Like, looking back on all my... Like, I think all of my, like, picture vocabulary books were all multilingual Mm -hmm. growing up. And Dad didn't make us learn both, but whenever we would ask, like, I can read this one, what's this one underneath say? He would gladly tell us. Um, And... That adds up when it's over the course of all of your books. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, And he tried to make sure to have other little things around. um, And one of those was, I feel like everybody in the world had a lot of Disney movies, especially, you know, growing up when they were first being released on VHS. I know I was the only family that had the three caballeros. No, we didn't. And this is a vast upgrade over three copies. Oh, I can only imagine. I can
1: only imagine. To
0: be fair, it's actually not that bad. I really love Panchito Pistoles, which was like the, uh, the fucking, the Mexican character in that. Cause it was spread across, it was like Donald Duck and his two Latine friends mm-hmm. <laughs> who are both like kind of, especially Jose Carioca is huge down in like Brazil. 'Cause he was like the, the South American uh, endorsement. Yeah. Whatever. And then and it was done in a time period where they were kind of looking forward. Like this was actually not done as appropriation. It was more done as like, let's try to do a semi educational video mixed with some fun with Donald Duck.
1: Yeah. Um, this movie kind of falls under the like, I don't have that, you know. I've never been allowed to see my culture cause I'm a white boy in America. My family was from Norway before going to Minnesota before going to here. Like I am, my culture's fucking everywhere. Uh, but when I watch movies like this, I get to appreciate that, you know, Brown kids get to have their culture celebrated in a way that has not happened in America for most
0: of existence. Uh, none of the main characters look like my family, but, In some of the big group scenes, I I can start tearing up if I start looking through the background because, like, there's a couple of character models that look pretty close to like my grandpa and stuff in there.
1: Yeah, the close, like, I mean, I guess How to Train Your Dragon. If I look, I'm like that kind of looks like my (laughs) uncle, but like that's that's a whole different ball game right there.
0: I don't know. There's just I had three copiotos when I was growing up. I enjoyed this so much more that like last last Christmas I made sure that. My little sister and my little niece both own this. Oh, nice. And I'm like, I don't even care if you guys really watch it all that often. I just want you, you to have... You will have
1: access I to it. I just want
0: you to have the access to it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, representation matters. Watch it. Like, yeah. Down to four words,
0: there we go. <laughs> this way it's around. It's better than Three caballeros. I still love Three caviaros. Yeah, we're not, <laughs> we're not insulting It's so much better, though. It's <laughs> so it. much better. Um,
1: any recommendations for this week?
0: Real quick, I wanted to oh, point out one other little detail that I feel like a lot of people probably don't notice, and it just ties in even further to the holiday. Please. Um, when Miguel first goes into the Land of the Dead, and he trips, and he falls into the grave, and he gets helped out, mm-hmm. the, the character that helps him out is uh, La Calavera Katrina, who is kind of like the unofficial mascot of Day of the Dead. Oh, okay. And she, her representation is kind of what a lot of the different Day of the Dead makeup is actually based off of. Oh, I didn't
1: know Even that. Even
0: though her, it's a weird thing, like, how she became that, because originally... That's not where she started, but where she ended up. Well, because what she started was kind of like a satirical political cartoon that was making fun of, um, like, indigenous... Mexican people trying to act high class and European, which is why she's dressed the way she is. And then she just kind of became. Well, I mean, *Dead* the Dead is an interesting mix
1: of uh, uh, Mexican, Central American, South American tradition with Catholicism for yeah. the most part. Yeah,
0: folk Catholicism, which <laughs> runs rampant, especially these days in Mexico. Since the early 2000s, there's been a like a huge uptick in. Uh, The Santa Muerte stuff, which ties in also with Day of the Dead and Mexicans kind of digging death. It's hard to explain. It's great. It's hard to explain, but I can tell you that my grandpa's funeral is one of the best times I've ever had with my family, which I don't hear from a lot of my friends. That's a weird sentence
1: to say, but yeah, it's definitely true. (laughs) Um, God, I I tried to go to recommendations and then I realized that you had more stuff and I had more stuff, so I'm the asshole there. Uh, I noticed... Because there was a luchador that was wearing like all silver, and that's a real luchador. Yes, I don't remember his name because um, I don't know wrestling. But like, there's a legacy thing to him.
0: Yeah, no, there's a lot of the a lot of the different skeletons, especially that you see on the red carpet going into our real death are celebrities. Because real, real like, I knew there was
1: Frida, and I knew there was him, and I was, that was going to be my question of whether. That many others? There's a, like, there's
0: actually quite a few others, and I I just legitimately don't know them because I'm not tuned in like there that.
1: There were a few where I'm like, I think that's a person. Like, the guy that was leading the orchestra, Phil.
0: The guy that was leading the orchestra. But I don't
1: know who that is. Oh, the
0: guy that was leading the orchestra was actually a cameo from Michael Giacchino, who did the score.
1: Okay. I could tell that that was which supposed
0: is, to be someone, but I couldn't tell who. Which is why they don't give him a speaking part. Ah, okay. This is the first movie with a budget of nine figures to have uh, an all-Latine cast, with one exception. One word is said by John Ratzenberger because he has a part in every Pixar movie. (laughs) 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 And so he's... um, uh, Juan Orthodontia, who's the the skeleton with all the with the braces. Uh huh.
1: Remind me who this guy is again, other than
0: Ratzenberger. Yeah. Um. Uh. He was Cliff on Cheers.
1: Oh. Okay. Yes. And they put him. He was the pig in Toy
0: Story, and they started putting him in literally everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's in every Pixar. He's movie. like their good luck charm. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to keep this as pure as possible, so he has one word, and it's gargled because he's. <laughs> it's so good. I, I respect that. Um, the kid that plays Miguel, uh, Anthony Gonzalez, was originally a placeholder.
1: Oh, he was just like well, they figured out who to do.
0: Yeah, like, this kid and then they lines in the and rug. then this they kid liked it. Fucking kills it. And then and that that doubles for his singing. They didn't, I think when they were using him as an actor to read lines before he just legitimately got the part, I'm not sure how much they realized he had been singing mariachi since he was like five or six years old.
1: That explains that, I mean, that was not someone like trying to do mariachi. That was a guy
0: doing mariachi. And so he also became his own singing voice. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I don't know. It was just really fucking cool. All right. Yep, that's great. Good times
1: had by y'all. Uh, before I once again dive into this, any last thoughts or are we going to dive into...
0: Well... Uh,
1: <laughs> that's why we do two-hour episodes. Right.
0: Um, not that I can think of. Like, I just get real emotional when I talk about this movie. Okay. I love it. Okay. <laughs> that's all. That's all I got. Any recommendations, then? Uh, yeah. My recommendation, because we're still slightly coming off of Spooky Season, and it... I mean, we've got, like, two more weeks of our planned Spooky Season. I'm going to recommend a single issue of a comic.
1: I'm going to do the same goddamn thing.
0: The Anatomy Lesson. Swamp Thing. Swamp
1: Thing. The first Alan Moore issue with, that's what, Steve Bissett?
0: Yes. A milestone issue because of the way it reinvents the character in a single issue in a crazy, unthought-of way previously. But I think some of the real artistry behind it is when you stop and you ingest it slowly, it's only that meta-text that gives you all that new revelation. The way the story actually plays out within the panels is is within the same pacing as an old school horror comic. With Swamp Thing firmly in the monster role and in the wrong by the end of it.
1: We've talked before about me not being a big Alan Moore fan, but I will say this is, along with the Coyote Gospels from Animal Man, uh, possibly the greatest single issue of a comic book ever written.
0: It's astounding. In just its mastery within the art form.
1: Yeah. It is... It puts mine to shame. <laughs> and I'm still real, like, happy with my what my choice is going to be. Uh, oh, my God. Anatomy lesson is so good. It's smart. But it's smart in a way that it educates you. And, like, it doesn't talk down to you smart. It's, let's raise you up to my smarts.
0: Right. And who would have guessed that Floronic Man would be involved in one of the most important issues of comics? Yeah. Jason fucking Woodrue. I mean, come
1: on. <laughs> in fucking New Guardians, he wanders around calling himself Floral, like he is. Like the Floronic Man is the definition of like that like seventies villain, a seventies 70s, eighties villain that talks like Star Scream. But uh, he's the integral part of possibly the most important comic book ever written. He wasn't bad as Cedar
0: in the New 52.
1: Oh, that's from the the Snyder run or that's is that from the Soul run. That's from the the, the Soul run. I have run. not read any of the Soul run. Um it's hard to find and I read a lot of comics so I lose things.
0: Yeah. Um he takes on this new persona and ends up becoming a swamp thing himself for a bit, and they have to face off against each other. Perfect. I actually don't dislike Jason Woodrow, the Floronic Man. He's just
1: a ridiculous fucking, like, C list villain. And Alan Moore took him and made him something that matters. So that's fun.
0: The, uh, the soul run of. The new 52 Swamp thing reads very much just like a sequel to the Alan Moore run. That's what I've heard. Uh, anyway, that's not my recommendation. My recommendation is, is an Admin so, so what's yeah. your recommendation? You know,
1: I was about to be like, man, this is the most specific recommendation we've ever done. And then you fucking had to top me. <laughs> or not top me, but match me without me even knowing it. Um, specifically, Batman... 54 from the Rebirth run by Tom King and Matt Wagner. I recently picked up, we've talked a bit about Matt Wagner because I'm a big fan. And I picked up, uh, they did a nice hardcover collection of like all the Matt Wagner Batman stories, which was great because it was like 30 bucks and the Matt Wagner Batman stories I've been trying to get my hands on were selling for like 50 bucks a piece. So all of them in one cheaper, big, gorgeous hardback. I was like, yes! Yes! but I've only had time to read one issue from it yet. And it's from the most recent, one of the most recent Batman runs. Tom King's run is very divisive. Some people say it's great. Some people say it's garbage. Um, And it is, this is a single standalone issue, super awkwardly placed, not awkward, like weirdly placed between two huge moments in that run.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: it, It takes place immediately after the wedding or what is supposed to be Batman and Catwoman's wedding where Catwoman ditches him at the altar and right before Nightwing gets shot in the head and loses his memory and is such a bad editorial decision that I stopped reading Nightwing for 3 years. And what this is is I mean cuz Dick Grayson's one of my favorite stories and this is possibly the greatest Dick Grayson Batman story like those two together mm-hmm. that I've ever read. And it is Dick Grayson hanging out with Batman after, the, after Batman gets ditched at the altar, being obnoxious and just trying to make Batman laugh. Not like, you know, whoopee cushion obnoxious, but just like they're taking on low-level villains and Dick Grayson is just directly making fun of them and laughing and being like, how is this not amazing for you? Like, how are you not laughing at this? We're fighting Condiment King. <laughs> um, and it's Matt Wagner, who's one of my favorite comic creators so doing the art so it's just absolutely gorgeous and it it ranges between this story and stories of Dick Grayson as a kid but never as Robin but just like why he's close to Batman you know like him waking up from night terrors of his parents dying and Bruce Wayne running in and giving him hugs or like they're doing uh, handstands for like an hour on end together as, cause Dick's trying to mess with Bruce Wayne, but I mean, he's Batman and Dick doesn't know this yet. So Bruce is like, yeah, whatever. Like we're, we're doing handstands. Let's do this and talk like this is fine. Or, you know, only feeding him chips because he likes chips and Alfred being like, no, he has to eat real food. It's <laughs> um, like, but he likes chips. He likes chips. And it is, uh, I like Nightwing best as a solo character although I do like it when he like pops up and puts Bruce straight, Mm -hmm. but this is the best example of how close these two are because there's no other character that Bruce could open up like with this. And this entire thing is Nightwing knowing that and not making Bruce open up, but being there in case he decides to. And he never quite does. He like, The it ends with Nightwing making him laugh and he starts to laugh and then he starts to like cry and then he's like, no, I'm fine. Nightwing's like, I'm I'm aware. Mm -hmm. I know you're fine, but I'm here in case you want to not be fine. And it is just it is such a beautiful little like, especially since we're talking about family, beautiful little exploration of family. Batman as a human being, Nightwing as a human being and why I love this character so much. Which makes the fact that he gets shot in the very next episode, Shot in the Head, all the fucking darker. So, well done, Tom King. But also, how dare you, Tom King? Um, um, and Tom King wrote Grayson, so this is a guy that really understands Nightwing. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time we got to see him really do Nightwing with Batman. Next week, we will be jumping in with... The Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing and I think Joe Bennett, but I'm going to be really embarrassed if I'm wrong on that one. Um, we'll correct ourselves next week. If we hey! Let's take the Hulk and turn it into straight up body horror. Yay! It's so excited again. I don't like horror and I love this. Anyways, that's next week
0: uh in order to listen to us next week please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now Uh, if you could also rate and review us however you're listening to us right now that would be super cool because the entire world is ran on algorithms at least in this digital part of the world that you are listening to us on and we want to be up in those algorithms and getting more listens and like tell people about us that'd be super cool too you can always go check out our website www.generalnerdcast.com and contact us through there or by emailing us generalnerderypod at gmail.com uh, while you're over at the website click links up at the top because we are part of the Irvine podcast network go check out the other shows on the network I got to go off on some like folky spooky shit from Mexico but I talk horror movies every week over on fried squirms Zach you can listen to me and my buddy Malark talk about
1: war and war gaming and war treatises over on the art of war gaming
0: also find us, General Nerdery, across all the social medias. Sometimes we're there.
1: Sometimes I mean, we're always we're there.
0: there. Sometimes we're doing things. Exactly. Um, that's all I got. All right. Right? Did I forget anything? Close enough.
1: In the meantime, we're here, Generals of Nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.